Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome to the Education on Fire podcast network. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Season 6, episode 95. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. Today I'm joined by Peter Cancel, who is my resident education expert and fellow um, executive committee member of NAEP. So hi, Peter. Thanks for joining me again today. Hi there, Mark. Good to see you. Speak to you. So we're going to be chatting a little bit about um, Peter's thoughts on, on the on the season so far of our literacy and English and literacy season, and, and also a little bit about how some of the late podcasts is, is fitted in very nicely with this, with our recent um, Schiller lecture, which was given by Professor Theresa Kremin. Um, and so where would you like to start, Peter? What, what's been your thoughts so far of, of how the season's been progressing? I thought it, it was a great season, actually, because I, I think that, that the um, various bits, the episodes that you recorded, it was like having a series of stories. And I thought, how, how appropriate for, for a season about English that we've got a storytelling session going on. And it, I, I just loved it, actually. And, and it just made me think in a wider sense about how ironic that we've got the restrictions on the curriculum have narrowed it down and I bang on about the narrowness of our curriculum so much but the one area where you know the, the narrowness has has uh, enabled us is to have those core subjects of English and maths etc um, still existing so English is still there as part of the curriculum and yet all of these stories were about breaking out were about how Within that narrow curriculum, it's even narrower for a lot of people within English and that you need to have that excitement. You need to break out. I think you mentioned at one point about um, uh, people having to going through the process of learning the grammar and all the rest of it. There was an article that you referred to and it was a primary first article, I think, uh, the Nate Journal. And it was just talking about being more creative in the way in which you learn grammar. Why are we having to tell people to do creative, exciting things in English? You know, the one area that's remained constant, but it's not. It's been narrowed down. So I was, it was heartening to hear these, these exciting things going on. Well, I'm really, I'm really pleased to hear that because one of the things um, I wanted to speak to you about is as, as an ex-head teacher and someone who's been involved in schools for so many years, What's your perception of, of what happens when you say, and now you have to do English, and, and especially within the current confines of the curriculum? Because I know for my kids having been through school, there was, there was a little bit of that kind of, oh, we have to do English first thing. And, and that's a long way removed from some of the conversations I were having from people like Simon Hunt, who you know, were talking about their poetry and, and traveling across the world and, and speaking at the European Parliament. Um, so I'm just I'm curious as, as to kind of what, what you think those perceptions are of kind of what happens has to happen when when it's now English time. Yeah, and well, and actually, and Simon was saying that, that he, when he says, if if he says, um, you know, now we can do poetry. There's a groan, you know, because a lot of children get switched off. Now we're doing exactly the same thing. You know, there's a groan. I, I, as a former English coordinator as well, before as a head teacher, um, I, I have a lot of views about this. Well developed 
over a long period of time. Um, but it, the more that I learned about it, the more I discovered. You know, I moved into media studies as well, um, became an advisory teacher for, for, for media studies. And because because we shouldn't limit ourselves just to books, of course, and digital and, and visual images as well should be, should be read. Um, I loved a load of the exciting things that are being talked about and they're so easy to do easier now that when i was when i was teaching english and i was creating animations and videos of, with, with children but but also very simple videos of of picture books uh, which is really easy to do but it just takes time and that's the i think is the issue for teachers is that they are time constricted it's not about a lack of desire to do it. It's about a lack of time to do it and, th and thinking, oh, I can't do this. And, and someone's going to tell me I can't do it. And, I, and there, was, there was it was particularly with, with um, Simon when, when he said, so the following week, um, I thought, well, we can't just stop now. We need to, <laughs> we need to follow up on that, that going to the European Parliament, you know. And, 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 you, and of course you do. But if you've got a, a school that's that's saying, this is your program of work, this is the scheme that you've got to follow, and this is the plan, and everyone's got to fit in with it, that becomes impossible to do as a teacher. And you, you know, you you need that that authorization to be able to break out. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the time issue is a really important one. We, last week, both of us were at the um, the Schiller Lecture put on by the National Association for Primary Education and, and Professor Theresa Kremen was talking about having that kind of reading for pleasure free time and, and she showed us some great pictures of teachers and students people's both being on the floor just being comfortable and reading but actually creating that time where you can just enjoy it for the time that it actually is rather than now we have to do x and now we have to do y and it's really interesting isn't it and that's a really difficult thing to find these days or maybe it's a perceptual thing that teachers find that they can't have space because it should be filled with something and and i don't quite know how how you go about changing that perception when when that's kind of how everyone feels in a natural way it's possible it's possible if you don't kowtow to the to the constraints that are placed upon schools, but it's very hard to be strong enough to stand up against it. You know, when when schools are are regularly put into special measures for not complying with petty, in some cases, um, petty restrictions. Um, I, I, it's very difficult and very hard for for a head teacher. There are some there are some really good strong people out there who do it but i have complete sympathy for people that that feel that they're not in a position to stand up and do it you know i i know my local school uh where they're waiting for for their next visit because they know that that's crucial to them to get out of special measures and they can't deviate from the norm because they're scared to yeah um, well, I really hope, I mean, that's the reason that Education on Fire was set up originally, was because I wanted to share these, not just good practice even, but just the fact that you can hear other people are doing it like this, or other people are doing it like that, um, and and they're being successful, and they're, they're being supported from their schools, or, or, or there, there's an outcome there, which is something which you would feel is desirable for you even if you're feeling like your hands are tied slightly so I, I hope that as they sort of hear all these different people talking about how they've gone about teaching within their school that it just gives you a little bit of 
hope and and um and support really that actually you can do it even if it's only in a tiny way um and 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 enables you just to give you that bit of freedom and whether whether you're whether you're a head teacher who wants to be able to sort of lead from the front in terms of saying no you have you can do that or if you're a teacher who's not quite sure what they should or shouldn't do at least you can say but i've heard this and this has been in my experience and i understand that this has happened in this place how could we could we try that at least it gives you a frame of reference to know that it is being done and well received elsewhere yeah and that that was what came out of um, a number of a number of the speakers actually was was their feeling that they had a mission to infuse teachers to help people to get to to, to lift themselves out of this narrow constraints and to make it more exciting for children and to celebrate children's work. That was a that was a um, something that came across from all of the all of the speakers. I thought was this notion of children needing their their work celebrated, and I think we'd all agree with that. Yeah, and I think it goes, it goes back to really almost the first season of, of when we launched the podcast was the fact that we wanted to have that sense that actually, if you do what you know is supportive for children, if you can infuse them, if we can all be working together in a learning environment, everything else does fall into place. But we do understand how difficult that is, like you say, when you've got an Ofsted inspection coming or when you think it needs to look a certain way. Um, and, and like I said, it's incredibly difficult, but hopefully some of that support we're able to bring through. And, and hopefully, as well as hearing those those interviews of, of people that have done it, actually feeling like it's what you want to do. It's almost like a, a revolution or sort of a movement um, from sort of from the ground up. And, and I think it's the sort of thing we were chatting just before we came on air about the fact that the interview I did with um, Richard Gerver on the Nate podcast last week was very much about that, that we have a little bit more control than we think we do, even if it's only those sort of small measures that we can do on a daily basis. Yeah, and, and mention of Richard, I... I I love listening to Richard Gerber. I think he, he, in my mind, is is Ken Robinson's uh, representative on Earth. I, and, and he he just does speaks such good sense, and he's such a lovely chap. I think that 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 was, that was a real coup to have him speaking actually, um, and uh, and you know well done well done to you on that. Um, and one of the things also which was really valuable, I think, from from the series is the number of different um, sources and resources that, that, that were available to people. You know, like if you, if you look at the Lit Film Fest uh, website where there is a, a great range of, of, of projects, 35 hours of, of, of free projects available out there and, you know, with, with all sorts of different topics available, you know, talking about sustainability, food, values, poetry, um, you know all sorts of a range of approaches and it and i think that people need to know about that people need to be they you know one shouldn't be too hard to teachers. they do know about these things they just need reminding that they're there and that you can break out you can take a different route i think i think the the great thing about talking to everybody sort of hearing the voices and, and, and seeing the, the people behind these organisations and some of the amazing things they're doing is is also, that, like you said, 
even when you know they're out there, but it gives you a great framework of knowing this is where we're heading. Because um, I can understand as a teacher feeling like I want to do something different rather than being sort of welded to our, our desks, but I'm not quite sure what to do. And actually knowing that you can go and look at this website or you can be in contact with this person and there's a whole wealth of things that you can be involved in, it just opens the door, but it gives you structure and it gives you a, um, a timeline, it gives you a plan of what you want to do in a very exciting way. And one of the things that's come through with a lot of these things is the whole sort of idea of children wanting to be YouTubers and that kind of thing. And I think sort of embracing what it is that they're enjoying and what they want to do, but in a safe environment and in a very creative and an educational environment is it really is a win-win, which I think is one of the themes which has come through quite a lot this so far this season. And, and also making the activities real activities, things that people want, the children can see a purpose in doing, but also, you know, when, you, when you're writing a script for, for a YouTube video or something, you know, you can see that you need to do that because otherwise you don't have a script, you know, and you don't have a video. So it, those things, that, that, that doing things for a purpose, the whole learning process, uh, you know, is, is so important, I think. Yeah, and that's one of the things I liked when I was chatting to Emmy and Taryn when they were talking about their when they were talking about the fact they will then read your story as part of their YouTube channel, they said, you know, they can only do one or two of, of, of any class that might get sent through or the teacher can pick out the one they'd like them to do. But the essence that actually something is going to happen beyond this piece of work, which they might have taken um, a few days or a few weeks to do is, like I said, it just brings it to life, doesn't it? And it has a real purpose. If you can, if you can do that on a regular basis and everything has purpose and meaning, then well, that, that, that's what we're learning for, isn't it? We're learning to give ourselves the tools and the experience to be able to then use that as we grow up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I, and, and I, I thought the, the fantastic thing that they were doing was uh, echoed in some of the other ones, the collaborative learning. Actually, one of the things that they talked about was about rolling out um, a long piece of paper, a long roll of paper, and, and all the children were sharing that piece of paper. And I thought that, that reminded me of... of um, when I worked in Oxford and we used to go to the uh, OUP print works and get their end of rolls, which were weighed a ton, actually. They were very heavy, but, but they couldn't use them the, on their machines any longer. But they were probably about two or three hundred foot long. You know, they were they were massive massive pieces of paper so you could you could just just struck me that you could actually make use of things like that as teachers aren't aware going to print works they they have end of rolls of paper that that are really valuable in school and uh, can to do something like that somebody else mentioned about doing that as well there was another another speaker that talked about having rolls of paper they did yeah i, th I think that might have been simon again talking about yeah. when, they were, when they were doing their poetry and, and i think i think the the, the collaboration word is, is exactly. such an important one wasn't it because it, it just fills me with a different sense of understanding that kind of i'm now sat on my chair at my desk with my piece of with my book and my piece of work as opposed to, and here is one very long piece of paper and we're collectively just putting ideas down, we're bouncing ideas off each other, we're just going with the flow and seeing what happens. Just just the, the whole essence and the energy of what you're trying to produce is just completely different. Yeah, and that and that link, that, that, that collaborative learning idea I thought was great and they, and they also picked up on it being child-led as well, going what the children wanted and it reminded me of, of Mantle of the Expert stuff that we've talked about in the past. 
um, you know, as being very much child-led. But what you were saying about you know not sitting at your desk or you know, getting out and doing things and that, but but that was picked up by Tactivate as well, wasn't it? Yes. They were talking about you know really physical activity, physical learning, active learning going on. And I thought the the lovely um, little bit in there that I heard where they were talking about having standing desks. So there were the, the idea of um, there being desks which are a higher level, so children didn't have chairs. To, to work at them. I mean, that happens in, in plenty of places, in, in workplaces nowadays, where people will work at a higher level. Uh, but we, I, it struck me when I was listening to the Tactivate one that, that we haven't, you know, the, the, the design of the classroom, you could go back 20, 30, 40 years, um, and someone from that era could walk into a classroom today and recognize it as a classroom and it not being much different you know there are things obviously there are technology that's in there but the layout and the way in which we use classrooms has not changed and you know in some cases not changed since the previous century so i think there is a time for people to look at the way in which we use classrooms there have been a few attempts but but the design of the classroom it, it's we're in a different world and we could be doing it in a totally different way and perhaps that's picked up by um, Melissa Webb, uh, you know, and that we take children out of school altogether and, and uh, have them in, in a different environment. I have to say, I mean, I, I've done an interview which hasn't aired um, yet, which is going to be coming out on the Learning on Fire podcast, which is, of course, is the third, the third podcast on, on this network. And what was interesting about that, we were talking about how... Um, boys' brains work and and how they live their life and different to girls and 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 one of the things we discussed on that show was the fact that boys work and learn much better when they're moving, not because they they want to not be just sitting still, but because actually not only do they do they want to move, they actually learn better while they're moving um, and, and and things like that. And like you said, the the classroom actually just makes it very difficult for some people to be as in, included as they might be. And, and like there are certain things that we can do that can help that. And and like I say, Tagtivate is, is was a really key one. And understanding that actually it's not about being doing as they're told or or doing things right or doing things wrong but knowing that we're all different and actually having that idea that we're going to move around we're going to get rid of the tables and put this big long piece of paper in the middle of the classroom or we're going to go outside and do it or or whatever it happens to be or even like i said as melissa where we the conversation last week was about virtual classrooms and coming together and and actually having a slightly different structure of the way they were learning and, and that seems to be working very very well not just for the homeschoolers but for those that were wanting extra support as well and and it's it's just difficult to see and actually maybe it won't become standard across every part of education it will become more more diverse because people will start to choose how they want to learn and take a bit more responsibility for their own learning and it'd be interesting to see how then school changes because of that rather than in despite it or or rather than it's actually being led by some kind of policy difference it goes back perhaps to the power of language and you know by calling it school by calling it learning that's what puts some children off. You know, it, it, it encourages some children, it encourages lots of parents um, to say, you know, this is, this is a, um, a formal positive thing. What I did notice was a common theme throughout the this, this season was 
people talking about engaging children. I think with all of them, it was all about engaging children, about getting them to want to be doing it. And that's so important. Are you a teacher looking for support to create and develop music in your school? We have created Primary Music on Fire, taking the fear out of teaching by giving you the step-by-step skills and ongoing support you need. If you're a homeschooling parent and would like the opportunity to learn an instrument with your child on our five-day challenges, all of this is available through Primary Music on Fire. Go to educationonfire.com forward slash primary music and sign up to the newsletter. That's educationonfire.com forward slash primary music. I think the the key thing as well is um is how the interaction goes on. Um it was interesting having been to the Oxford Head Head Teachers Conference because um I was talking to one of the charities there and they were talking about having um volunteers coming in and reading with children and supporting them and and they were they they were sort of unsure about what they should call the people going into schools whether it's a mentor or a, um whether it's a support person or you know what's the terminology you should use and actually i think that kind of sort of co-learner idea where they're sort of you know the intergenerations and and not being a member of staff but someone else coming in and sharing your whole sort of learning experience and sharing experiences you know the older people get to share something with the younger people and vice versa everyone gets to gets to learn something and and i think you're right i think having that sense that we're all on a learning journey no matter what our age or our situation and that what we're doing in school is going to give us the tools and the understanding of what we need to do about that so they're, they're almost kind of pillars of learning in terms of how you go about learning what are the important things that we need to take away about ourselves and, and how that fits in with society and actually the, the formal bit the more sort of learning bit which used to be the knowledge in um, imparting knowledge and all that kind of thing that has definitely switched now and actually so that whole understanding that we're all part of this sort of change and framework of change which is is going to sort of make a massive difference i think yeah, and that, but there, there was there was something that um, Melissa Webb said, which, which was, we all have something to give. And I think that's true. And you, you, as you know, I've been involved quite a bit with inter, with intergenerational work, um, with older people working with, with young children. Um, and the older people don't necessarily realise it, but they get just as much from it as the, as the young children do. But they do it because they see what the young children are getting from it. And that's great. You know, I, I think that... that it's important as part of society. It's important that schools, if we carry on having schools, which we inevitably will, um, that that they are an interactive part of society and give something to everybody. One of the things I really wanted to make sure this season was about was not about the best way to learn how to do this bit of grammar or that bit of grammar. And I, and I think that sort of came across in terms of the way things are. But of course, that is an integral part in terms of being assessed and and sats and all of that kind of thing but do do you think there needs to be less focus in terms of the terminology we were speaking before about the article in primary first that david reedy did about how that all comes across and and i think some of these sort of intellectual arguments and, and reports especially through the primary first journal that nate produces actually that's an interesting thing as well despite the fact that this season has been specifically much more about sort of a a more inspirational way of learning they are and and you can't just be like me and just rant and rave about the fact that people like nick gibb don't even know what a frontal adverbial is 
um, you know, when you actually challenge him. The, the, you know, you, you do need to just look at it from, from a dispassionate point of view and say, well, is this important? And of course it's important. It's, it's really valuable to have an understanding of grammar, the grammar of of reading and writing. But a lot of that is is taken on board by children naturally you know, as, as, as part of their learning. It doesn't need to be specified as a separate part. Um, there is obviously a space for learning some things separately, but you know, there, there's, a, there's a much more organic way of doing it. And, and one of the speakers was saying about, um, I think it was Simon who was saying about, about you know, learning about poetry and learning that actually you don't need to put a full stop at the end of a line in a poem, but you need to know what full stops are for in order to be able to say, I don't need to have a full stop. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what he was saying, that, you know, that somebody had said that poetry was about breaking the rules of grammar. And uh, and you can't break the rules of grammar if you don't know what they are. So a lot of that is is learned, but in a way which is engaging. And it's it, that that's the the difficulty that one has with the imposition of the grammar, the spag stuff, you know, and and phonics as well, is the way in which it's imposed upon the learning as though it's a separate standalone thing which has no relevance to anything else. But it's got to be learned. You know, and that's what that's what rocks my boat. Really, is it, it's just <laughs> trying to get away from all that. Yeah, and and you can understand why that's so hard, isn't it? Because you know, like you say, when the assessments are coming through, and there are things that have to be assessed, and things that are marked, and and what you're going to be judged on. You know, you can see why that becomes the focus. And, it, and then, uh, as as we've said before, you know, hearing people say, "But if you don't put a full stop, but you know you could have done, or in a different scenario, that would have been what you were supposed to do," then you have learned it anyway. And as long yeah. as you can articulate it in those terms, then I think that learning has obviously then gone into the into the child anyway, which is which is the most important thing. And and listening to to Daniel Phelps talking about his book. Um, it, that whole idea of actually the the inspiring bit and the fact that he was using his sort of science and then the stories of the of those things that were really important to him to actually eventually create a book that, that's actually now been published that can actually children can use and, and learn and and that that's an interesting thing too and i think just sort of having these sort of passions that come through from a teacher back to the pupils again and 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 they they, they can learn so much from that way I, I thought that Daniel's stuff was really exciting. I, I, when I first spoke to Daniel a year or so ago, I think I spoke to him um, about the whole idea of what he was doing. It really excited me because I've long felt that we don't exploit the power of narrative sufficiently to support learning. And that's what exactly what he was doing, you know, using memory hooks, using humor, using characters, learning to pass on their learning, um, you know, all those things. Because if even on a very basic level, if you look at the way in which people who ha who can um, do what are seen as quite significant memory feats, one of the things that they do is put the series of things they've remembered into a story, and that's you know the, the, you know it, it makes perfect sense that if you can do that, that's going to make it actually lodge better in the brain. But it also enables you to make sense of it. If it's within a story that explains what it means, 
that makes sense to children and they can they can take that on board and it's not it's, it gets away again from this idea of the form formal learning situation and i thought his stuff was really good there's there's a link in that you mentioned the journal primary first there's a link that, that what people should know about in there in issue 23 there's an interview with or an article written by daniel which, which um is about exactly about this um and you know the I think that's available, isn't it, on the on the NAEP website? It is. If you go to nape.org.uk on the homepage, there you'll see the pictures of the primary first journals, and actually you can click on a link just by there, and it brings up a whole selection of journals, and you can click on them, and you can actually read them online, which is a, a great thing for people to be able to do, so they can get a little bit of an idea of the sorts of articles in there. And it, it was Scientifica was the name of his book, and he talks a little bit about doesn't his process, and um, and the article in there will be really interesting. Having listened to his podcast when he was talking about his his process for writing and how it came about over a number of years and, and how the children have been able to to get on board and actually really enjoy the whole process with him so yeah i, I definitely suggest you go in and check all those things out and and what we're talking about listening to other things remember all of the podcasts that we're doing live on the educationonfire.com website if you go to the top bar and just click on episodes you can then click on education on fire but you can see all three of the podcasts there education on fire learning on fire and also the nate podcast too and and all of the episodes are just one after the other you can scroll back down through the pages so whether you like to listen directly on a, on a computer or if you use a smartphone of course all these episodes are on itunes um stitcher if you're on android or google play any anything which you use if you go to the podcast app and just put in the name of the podcast you want to listen to education on fire then all those episodes will come up and you can you can catch up on any of the ones that maybe you haven't heard that we've been talking about and and also subscribe so that you can get all the next ones coming straight through to your phones is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap this up and peter i think we haven't spoken sufficiently about simon hunt i got very excited listening to simon i thought i thought how great it was the way in which his story unfolded and which you know which developed from a feeling a passion that we should that we should, that children need to enjoy it children need to enjoy writing and and, and have some reason for it uh, and have a reason a, a purpose for their writing yeah um and then his reference to having having been teaching growth mindset and, and taking risks and realizing that was what he needed to do as well i thought it was fantastic actually and so many good things in there and i think you know the number of times in which he used the word surreal um, <laughs> yeah. quite telling actually uh, because it, it was it was you know it, it was a fantastic journey wasn't it and i and i thought that that you know good good luck to him i i was interested in um the way in which he was doing things the the slow teaching idea that would the the way in which he did the killer whale stuff, the orcas, I think. Yeah. And it's sort of slow teaching idea that you introduce children to a topic and you let them, you know, really go with it. And they got really excited about watching these things and then wait and then just say, but what if, you know, how about thinking about it from a different point of view and using drama and poetry and so on to, to, to highlight these ideas and, and for children to have that, have their minds changed in the way in which they're thinking about stuff and makes them more flexible and makes them think about actually you know there is a different point of view and i can take that i was reminded of a book when he was talking uh, a book which 
I read many years ago by someone called Sandy Brandjohn, which is called Does It Have to Rhyme, um, which is a fantastic uh, book, which people can probably still get hold of, uh, which gives you lots of ideas about writing poetry and, and different ways of approaching it. So you, that might be worth people looking up. Yeah, I, I certainly think one of the things that struck me about talking to Simon was the was the relationship that he had with his class. And I'm not sure he it came across, but I'm not sure he talked about it um, um, explicitly. But the fact that, you know, his notoriety now came from doing the floss and, and his usual YouTube video yeah. of that. But, you know, having having done that, you know, relating to the children, putting yourself out there, making a little clip of it, which which is brilliant. If, if anyone hasn't seen it, you should go to Mr. Hunt from the front and see all those things. And it's, uh, it's, it's a really good watch. Um, but also the fact, like you said, you know, it opened up a whole door and it's that. But what if we can do this? What if we can do that? You know, without any grand plan of kind of, well, we were talking about this particular topic. How about we'd see if we can have a conversation with somebody we'll see if we can contact them on twitter we'll see if we can contact them and chat to them live via skype um actually we'll talk about it and have a debate about it and we'll see where that goes and see if we can change our opinions like we were saying and i think when you have that growth mindset when you talk about things like that what invariably happens is exactly what his story proves is the fact that you get opportunities that you could never have made happen on your own you know the fact that they managed to talk to people they ended up he went to america and and they did the, the video link there he managed to take some students across to brussels and actually talk in the european parliament i mean if you went out to try and do that it'd be incredibly difficult but just by being creative by being open having a growth mindset and actually just having that flexibility to follow what you wanted to do enabled all of those things to happen and and like i say that's the inspiring bit i think yeah it, it, what also inspired me as, an, as, a, as a former head teacher was the way in which the school responded, the head responded, and he, he was able to go on and do it. You know, what a sensible school to allow that to happen, because it would have been so easy to say, oh, yes, thanks, Simon, that's really good, and I'm glad that you've got that, and you've done your dance, and, and then everybody's famous, and that's made the school famous, and we're really pleased about that, but it's time for maths. You know, do you know what I mean? I, I, I think that it reflected really well on the school, and and I I was I was fascinated by, touched I think by uh, the the most difficult thing for him, which was choosing which ten children to take to Brussels. That's such a hard thing to do as a teacher. Everybody will know that's that's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. And 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 like you said, the the great thing about that was uh, I think they just sort of pulled it out of a hat in the end. But actually, every child in the class was really supportive by the whole venture and yeah. supportive of those that got to go. And I think that just sort of really shows the, the ethos and the feeling within the school and certainly within the class that that would be the natural outcome. And I think that's when you realise that the teaching and the impact you're having has so much more bearing and so much more weight than just what type of grammar you're teaching today on a Monday morning. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, thanks so much for chatting to me. I think we, we've had a, a really, it's been really nice sort of catching and, and remembering some of those episodes which have already been in, and the season is going to be continuing for a short while afterwards. So um, thanks very much um, for spending your time today and, and listening to all of the, all the episodes. And um, I really appreciate having your head teacher's hat on so in supporting everyone listening so that they can hopefully be inspired in the way they can move forward and actually take a little bit of understanding that actually they're doing such a great job despite all 
the, the pressures that we know that they are and we're just all here to help each other just to be a guiding light and actually give their experience to everyone in our class to make sure that they get the most enjoyable learning possible. Yeah, and and empowering children, as as Emmy and, and Taran said, the Enchanted Wanderers. Absolutely. That's, I think that's a great way to finish. Thank you so much for chatting today, Peter. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure as always. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I just wanted to remind you that we have some free downloadable English and literacy resources that have been given to us very kindly by teachingpacks.co.uk. If you go to our website, educationonfire.com, and in the top menu, click on blog, you will see each week I've been putting a free resource for you to download and explore to help you in your classroom. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to chatting to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.